two dudes, one microphone, absolutely zero calves. Welcome to Team No Calves Radio with your hosts, Ollie and Adam. Hello and welcome to episode two of Team No Cars Radio with myself, Ollie Carson, and my co-host and good friend, Adam Boy Brown. How are you going, Adam? Yeah, really good, mate. Really uh, buzzing for the second one based on the, the feedback of the first. Um, I'm looking forward to, to jumping into this next one. Yeah, it was absolutely awesome. Um, the reviews that were left on the podcast, on our social media posts, being tagged into Insta stories and all kinds of wonderful stuff with... Your, your guys' fantastic comments, so we really, really appreciate all the support so far, and we're hoping that we can deliver some some more brilliant content for you guys to take something away on, on your cardio training or on your drive into work. So today we're going to be talking about uh, natural muscle gain, the ins and outs, and um, we're going to delve straight into this one with a bit of a bit of a buy-in from you from you guys, just because we're we're really aware that there's there's so much information out there at the minute, and really good information as well with training and nutrition and the problem is is getting people to buy into this idea of a, of a kind of a more scientific approach to training and nutrition because we're not going to delve into things too much today but we do want to back up uh, what we're saying with some with some research and some evidence um, so the buy-in really comes in from why you potentially have made results previously and you're not making results now see the problem is is if you're a new lifter and you pick up a magazine and you follow a training program or a diet plan and you follow that for a period of time and you get great results, unconsciously or subconsciously, sorry, you could actually buy or marry into that idea that that's what works, right? You just follow this program and you get results. But there are a couple of things that are happening behind closed doors that we might not be aware of. Um, and they're yielding the results. So it's the principles, not the methods that are actually helping us to build muscle. So if we can just, um, from the get-go, just let you guys know that there's certain things that you're doing that are working and certain things that might not be working. Um, and then hopefully you can kind of take something away from this podcast in that it's not necessarily a program that is magic. It's not necessarily, you know, the Flex Magazine Ronnie Coleman arm blaster program that's that's got you great arms. It's it's what you're doing behind closed doors that is helping you yield those results. I tell you what, mate. Just going on to the Ronnie Coleman thing, I saw a, a brilliant Instagram post that he put up today. Um, literally just before I came round, it's his new skin skin cream he's been using to uh, <laughs> help him help him tone up. I've seen this. Yeah, so he's uh, he was talking about uh, how he, he used it before his Olympias. So. I hope he got paid handsomely for that one. <laughs> yeah, I need, to, I need to get my hands on some of that. Yeah, cream. but I think um, sort of following on from Ollie's point there, really about um, you know when you first start uh, at the gym uh, and you start with a program, it, it can be easy to think that it's the program that's giving you the results. Um, and I think the the biggest thing you learn, um, especially as you kind of grow your your knowledge of things like that, is when you're uh, a newbie to the gym, um, when you're pretty novice, you can pretty much do anything in the gym and make good good progression, good gains. Um, you know, there's a reason that in reality, 80% of the muscle you ever grow in your career as a, a lifter is gonna happen in those first sort of six to 12 months. Um, and it's just because obviously it's a, a new stimulus, um, it's all brand new. And uh, you know, this is why it can be, it can be difficult um, to see kind of the, the gains start to, to slow down and I think that's why this is going to be a really useful podcast because I imagine a lot of the people who will be listening to this will be people who have um, perhaps been lifting for a few years now. It might be why you follow Ollie and I, um, and uh, you know you, you've noticed that the gains are starting to slow down, and you might feel like you're stuck in a bit of a rut. So I think it can really help to understand um, what actually causes hypertrophy um, and, and what it is. And what we're going to be doing is rather than giving you like you know um, kind of exact um you know to actually be doing in the gym um we're going to give you an understanding of, of how you grow muscle uh just so you can actually apply it to your own training mm. so the first thing um, we're going to talk about basically is what actually hypertrophy is because um obviously you know the the translation is just gains with the big capital z <laughs> um but uh it, you know the actual sort of scientific term is muscle hypertrophy and 
essentially when new muscles are, are growing, um, when hypertrophy is occurring, it's because of the adaptation to the demand or the stress that you're placing on it of training. So we know that unfortunately you can't just be sat on the sofa watching TV and, and grow um, big biceps. You know, there's something you have to be doing in your training to actually cause that that stress um, and then the body has to obviously adapt to that stress um, in order to be able to, I guess, uh, you know, be able to carry to do out it again. That That's it, again, yeah, yeah, to carry it out again in the future. Um, and essentially what happens when we are, are growing in muscle size, that the kind of, I guess, the, the structural things that are happening in the muscle, um, the, the muscle fibers are getting larger and that is to be producing more force. Um, so obviously that's you know going to tie in with getting stronger. Um, so as as it kind of the body sees it, you know you you've had to lift this weight, it might have to do it again in the future. So muscle fibers get larger in order to to do it again. And then alongside this, we get a, a larger capacity to store fuel in the muscle. And you know this is going to come from carbohydrate in the muscle, which is known as glycogen. Um, it's also going to come from fats that are stored in the muscle. Uh, these are known as intramuscular triglycerides. Um, and, uh, you know, all of this kind of excess fuel in the muscle is going gonna, is gonna to make it appear larger as well. And alongside that greater carb storage, you're going to get more water stored in the muscle. So all of these three things together are going are gonna to lead to the growth of the muscle. And obviously what it comes down to is us figuring out how we create that adaptation, how do we do that? And um, essentially, you know, we, we do that through uh, appropriate training stimulus. So getting that, that correct training in place and being consistent with it over time. So not just doing it once and then hoping that we're just gonna grow forever. We know obviously that isn't the case, unfortunately. Um, but getting that training stimulus in place and then just getting more protein actually stored in the body than lost in the body. So those two things together are gonna to be what leads to the actual, the muscle building process. So I just thought I would outline that kind of first of all, um, just so you have a, a real understanding of what is actually happening in your muscles, um, just so you don't, you know, you realize it's not the Instagram filter that's causing the gains, <laughs> it is actually something happening underneath and having an idea of, of why that works really helps you to look at your training and thing and, and your nutrition and think, right, is what I'm gonna be doing gonna be causing those adaptations? Yeah, and I think just, while we're on that point, Adam, before we move on, it would be good to just kind of uh, skip back slightly to you talking about, um, you know, newbie lifters who just start training in the gym and yield some good results, start building some muscle and then obviously become quite frustrated when, a, you know, a few months or maybe a year down the line, those gains start to slow down uh, somewhat considerably. So um, what's actually happening there is that, you know, they don't need to quickly find a new program to, to find new gains. What they what they need to understand is that the adaptations are there initially because everything they were doing in the gym was new and that was enough for them to be able to build muscle because it was a completely new stimulus. Um, the muscle was forced to grow. You know, they're probably eat, fed in a, a very well state, eating enough protein and that caused them to, to make muscle gains. And then beyond that, we need to be a bit more tactical with how we how we go forward and how we progress in the gym. Um, it's not as simple as just going in, lifting weights, eating, you know, uh, Tesco's chicken breaded fillet. Because <laughs> that's the sort of the stuff that I used to do. Breaded. I knew that chicken was good, so I would just go and get the um, the breaded fillets from, I used from Tesco. To, uh, <laughs> I used to do, because I thought, oh yeah, white fish is really good. And um, so I used to get like breaded like, cod and haddock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and from the chippy. I would have it with oven chips. Yeah. Because I was like, Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've got the oven chips in, they got no grease in, so that's fine, that's my carbs. And, I, and, it, and it was funny, because essentially I was just eating fish and chips mostly. Yeah, 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 brilliant. But because, you know, I was getting in uh, I was getting in my protein and all that, I just was like, yeah, this is perfect. This, this is pretty much how I got to do things. Yeah, but, so, but the point is, is that, you know, when you are starting out in this kind of whole, this fitness life, if you like, life with a Y, obviously, um, you know, it is very easy to make to make muscle gains. And like I say, beyond that, we need to be a bit more tactical and a bit more aware of what it is is actually causing the muscle to grow. And if, if we're aware of that and we can adopt and apply some principles, then we can yield more muscle gains. And so I think what we should get into next is um, training and volume. Yeah, so um, 
I mean, if you've kind of followed, uh, I guess, anyone within the industry who's pretty well known in the, in the areas of like research into muscle growth, um, you will have heard this term volume um, and volume relating to sets times reps times weight. Um, and, and I guess, you know, how much of that you're putting across the muscle over the course of, uh, you know, the week, essentially, and over the course of time. So we know that the, the main driver of muscle growth is is being able to increase your volume. Um, however, that's increasing your volume over time. And what tends to happen, um, and I notice quite a lot at the moment, is because people know that volume is, is the king when it comes to hypertrophy, um, we've got kind of into this, this uh, I guess, opinion of uh, more is always better. Yeah, yeah. You know? So more is always more. And that's actually not the case when it does come to volume. Um, what we got to remember is that the amount of volume that you're going to do is, is always going to be very subjective to how long you've been training. Mm -hmm. um, when you first go into the gym, you can do three sets of 10 till your um, heart's content and you can put a little bit of weight on every time and you know you can just add a little bit more, add a little bit more and you get better that way for quite a long period of time. However, it comes to a point where you can't really progress anymore like that. And that's obviously where we're going to start thinking, okay, of other ways. How can we how can we increase volume? Now, if you've been doing three sets of 10 for, say, the last 12 months, and you've just been getting better, but then all of a sudden you've plateaued, progress has stopped, it's going to be all, all of a sudden a, a big jump to go, okay, I'm going to go from doing three sets of 10 to doing five sets of 10, something like that. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you're, you're putting so much more stress on the muscle. And in reality, what we need to do is make sure that the way we are progressing with our volume is actually progressing on, on as little as we need, um, making sure that we don't just do jump into to big volume jumps um, and, and actually taking more of a, I guess, like a bird's eye view of things mm. is, is the way I would say it. You know, you're looking long term in that, okay, if I do, you know, say five sets of 10 um, today, how's that going to affect my ability to recover for my, for my next session? And this is where, like I say, we've got to take that bird's eye view of things of we've got to you know, look to progress volume, but do it over time. You know, you're not going to just by doing a really high volume plan for uh, a month, going to build a shit ton of muscle in that time. Unfortunately, it's not really the way it's going to happen. Once you've got past your newbie gains, you're kind of limited into how how quickly you can grow muscle. And unfortunately, with natural muscle gain, it is unfortunately astonishingly slow. Mm. Um, so it's painfully slow. And this means that you've got to think much more long term in in progressing your your volumes over your training. Yeah, I mean it's annoying, isn't it? Because on paper these kind of principles seem very black and white and very straightforward. You know, just increase volume, you know, over time, and you will build more muscle. So let's just add more weight to the bar each time. And unfortunately, we're not robots, and we we can't do that. So again, we use that word tactical. We do need to be more tactical with how we approach this and. You use the term there to progress on as little as possible. And I, I don't know about you, but I think there's a bit of a, not a blurred line, but there's a thin line there between not doing enough and doing just enough. And then could we do a little bit more? And is that going to yield more results? So yeah. when we say progress um, on as little as possible, I think what we, we really need to say is we're doing as little volume as we need to progress, but we're still in a range where we're pushing ourselves, but we're able to recover from that. We're able to carry on training through the week and it's not going to hinder us going forward. So um, there's no risk of injury, um, but it's not an excuse to just kind of be lackadaisical with training, not at all. Um, but we certainly need to be mindful of things like um, uh, delayed onset muscle soreness, um, how that's going to yeah. affect your future training sessions and all, and all that kind of stuff as well. I think um, the thing with with volume um is that we're always trying to search out this perfect range yeah like this definitely. kind of sweet spot for it like mm. this is how much i need to be doing each session to to get bigger you know this is going to give me the perfect rate of, of muscle growth when in reality it, it just doesn't exist mm. um you have to use yourself actually as a case study for this kind of stuff so you need to you know if you're thinking how much volume do i need to hit you have to play around with it you have to spend a period of time um, doing a certain amount of volume, trying to build up perhaps very slightly in volume. Yeah, you know, I, so. I think you're you're just kind of finding that now, aren't you, with your, yeah. your pulling movements and how that's affecting this your arm. This is it. So it doesn't matter what stage you get to. Um, you know, I've been I've been guilty lately of of adding way too much volume onto my my pushing movements and and pushing it too hard. And 
Um, unfortunately, the the effect of that is now I've got some pretty fucked up elbows for yeah. the minute, and uh, and that's why I think progressing on uh, a, a pretty conservative figure yeah. and, and taking a conservative amount of volume, an amount that you think you can handle quite comfortably, is actually a good place to start from because we're looking for longevity, really. You know, if if you go in and do say twelve weeks of your plan. And then you're so battered by the end of it that you actually have to take four weeks off and you take all those steps back. Mm. In reality, you've just kind of negated any of the good work you've done beforehand. And so I think when we're talking about volumes, you really need to look at your training, look at how much you've been doing and figure out as well, have I been recovering from that? You know, so if you're getting into the, the gym every week and you're feeling absolutely beaten up and you're not able to progress anything, it might be that you're actually doing too much. Which it can be a hard concept uh, when we're being told that more and more and more and more is what you need yeah. to actually take a step back if you're feeling so fatigued that you can't handle more. However, if you are feeling pretty well recovered, if you're feeling like you can do a little bit more, then certainly go in there and add in, add in you know, more volume. Add on sort of 5-10% to your sessions and see how you, how you progress on that. But the idea that there's like a perfect amount of volume... Um, just, it's just yeah. yeah, and it's it's something that I've you know it's taken it's taken me years to realise that yeah, definitely there's not a perfect amount. You just have to to kind of look at it yourself. Um, you know, figure out what your volumes are each week and, and each month, um, and then figure out you know are you doing too much or are you doing too little, and and then obviously progressing from there. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think it's cool that we've kind of outlined the sort of things that we need to implement to, to continually progress, but we should probably give some examples of, of how we can do that in terms of setting up our training blocks, how we can implement things like deloads, um, um, changing volume for intensity over a period of time, and how we can um, ensure that we're constantly progressing um, whilst not sort of inhibiting our progression with things like fatigue and uh, connective tissue issues and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So typically, Adam, how would you set up a, a volume block and how would you transition that into what we call an intensity block and how would you use things like deloads? Yeah, so I mean essentially first of all I would look at someone's previous training history. So if someone's come to me and you know the most they've ever done in their program is say um, three sets of ten or something like that. They've never done much more on a body part than say you know six to eight sets per week. Mm. What I'd be looking to do is is first of all actually getting that person um, kind of if they're very new um, or if they've actually gone past that phase where they can just add on a little bit more each week yeah. so I'd be looking to keep sets roughly where they are and just add on reps mm. so progressing on as, as little actually extra increase as they they you know they need yeah however when it becomes someone a little bit more advanced that's where it gets a, a little bit more kind of in-depth things so um, I essentially look to add on some sets. Mm. So I'll look at, okay, what's the maximum amount that this person I think would be able to handle? I'll take a conservative amount. So if I think someone could handle, say, um, 18 sets on a body part over the course of the week, I might start off by going, okay, let's gonna go, let's run this first week and we're going to hit 12 sets on that body yeah. part. Then the next week, I might add on a few and we'll go to, say, 14 sets. Then the next week after that, we might add on another set to each big exercise and we might be at 16, and then we finish up with that final week right at about where I think just below our limit is, and that way we've just been adding on kind of sets, yeah. adding on volume throughout that that kind of monthly block. Mm -hmm. And that would be what I would kind of refer to as a volume block, where we're just pushing that volume up each time. Once you get to that final figure, once you get to that final kind of fourth week, um, if you're feeling well recovered, we might take an extra week where we decide, yeah, let's push volume a little bit higher again, see, see how we get on. And then it becomes a case of, do we feel like we're recovered? If not, then I would, you know, drop volume down, yeah. recover a little bit and then start the process over again and just look to try and, and, and the way I would like, if you're trying to think about it, um, in like an image, I would be looking at it as like mountain peaks. So you start at the bottom of a peak with the you know the least amount of volume that you think you'd be able to to grow actually on, and then just push that peak higher and higher and higher. We're climbing that peak, and then we get to the top, and then we come back down that peak. Yeah. We recover, and then we build it back up again. And each time you're looking to get that peak a little bit higher yeah. than it was previously, and and that's why you can see that just going more, 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 more 
unfortunately, what's going to happen is you're going to get to the edge of a cliff and you're just going to drop off yeah. from being completely overtrained. So progression doesn't look like one straight line, essentially. It's no. a lot of peaks and troughs and where we have to actually take a step back, if you like, to take steps forwards. And that's what we're talking about when we're reducing fatigue and making sure that we can carry on with our progression. It's not a case of just doing more and more and more each week because we're not machines, we're humans, and it just physically won't work that way. So that's a really good kind of uh, visual representation there of, of what progression looks like with that idea of the peaks. I like that. Mm. Um, in ter- So I guess moving on from the actual um, the, the volume and how we kind of periodize that, in terms of like during the sessions themselves, Ollie, like um, if we were to say look at a... Uh, a training session itself and say okay what kind of like set and, and rep range and things like that are we going to pick mm. in order to be to be practical and, and in order to be able to build build volume um, appropriately um, how would you kind of look at that um, so I mean there's a couple of methods that or principles that you could apply um, one of my favorites that I've been looking into a lot recently is sort of uh, daily undulating so what we mean by that is that we're actually using different reps um, different rep schemes for various movements throughout the throughout the week and what that's great for is just keeping us kind of accustomed to using particular weights because it's all very well and good if we work in a particular rep range um, throughout the period of our training block so let's say we're doing a volume block and we're working between 10 and 15 reps for argument's sake and you're going to be using a particular amount of load or weight on the bar for that movement and all of a sudden, as we go to progress and we we drop the reps down and we we increase the load on the bar, it can feel heavy as yeah, hell on your back. Yeah. I don't know about you, but if if you come out of a volume block and you know all of a sudden for whatever reason you have to to lift a sub- substantially more weight on your back, it just feels so so heavy. So it's it's a good idea to have various rep ranges um, within your training week um, for for most movements and. What that does is, like I say, it just keeps you kind of accustomed to that feeling of the weight on the bar. Um, but we still always need to be mindful of what your total volume is and, and how that affects your future training. It's no good um, going from a very high volume session on squats, for example, and then you know immediately 24 or 48 hours later, then doing a high intensity session on squats where the weight is a fair amount higher and you're doing less reps because you're going to be really beat up from your volume, your volume session exactly so mm. we like you say I love that idea of the the bird's eye look of your your training over the week and over the month and over the year because you can see where you might run into potential problems it's very easy to be short-sighted and a lot of people go into the gym nowadays and they figure out what they're going to do in their gym session there and then. Yeah, yeah. So and and that's where you, and yeah, that. and you just run into massive problems with fatigue and not recovering properly and actually just taking steps backwards as opposed to taking steps forwards. You really do need to be mindful of what it is that you're going to do over that week and then over the next month and then, like you say, over a whole year. Yeah. So it sounds quite stressful um, looking that far ahead, but it's going to give you much better results in the long run. I think that that stresses the importance of actually having a plan that you stick to for a prolonged period of time mm. rather than if you're trying to change say rep ranges and then change exercises yeah. and then do that basically you're just going to be doing something completely different every time mm. you go in and in reality it's going to be really hard to track any kind of progression yeah. you know if you're at the stage where you're not new anymore and you can't just get into a gym and build muscle just by looking at a, a weight you need to be like tracking progress through your lifts and, and tracking progress for, through your volumes. It's really hard to do that if you're just constantly changing things all the time. Mm. But certainly there, there needs to be a, a place for, I think, varying rep ranges in a program. Um, now, when we're looking to build volume, I think basically we should be like looking at like a practical approach to building volume. Um, you know, certainly we know now that you can achieve... Um, you know, the same amount of, of kind of uh, muscle gain, muscle hypertrophy, you can do it with, with light loads, you know, so you can do it with, with sets of, of 30 reps to failure. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also do it with sets of three reps to failure. As long as the, the kind of amount of, um, I guess, session volume is, is equated, um, then, you know, we can get good gains with both. However, what's going to be a practical way of doing things, going in and doing just sets of 30, um, in reality, actually, is is 
looks a little bit suboptimal. Mm. Um, it's not quite enough intensity to be able to get the most bang for your buck. You're going to have to do a lot of reps over the course of a session, really, to get the same amount of growth that you could do with, say, sets of you know eight to ten. Yeah, you're going to be in the gym for like two hours. Yeah, you know, and uh, because the amount of reps that are actually causing growth are going to be very, very limited. It's only going to be those last sort of five to six that mm. really cause that growth. Um, however, uh, going in and doing sets of three is going to be pretty brutal on your joints, and um, this is something that you need to kind of bear in mind when you're thinking, okay, how much time if I'm trying to build up volume am I going to spend in in different rep camps? You know, it's definitely worthwhile spending some time with lower reps and and building that kind of base maximal strength, and it's definitely worth um, spending some time in the higher rep ranges. And, and looking to build a little bit of, of endurance in that muscle. Um, but certainly, you know, that, that kind of old, I guess, bodybuilding adage of, you know, round six to 12 reps, something yeah. like that, is a really nice, easy, and efficient way of, of building up volume. Mm. Um, you know, you can do the same amount of volume with, say, four sets of 10 as you could probably do with 10 sets of three. So it's like, how am I going to use my time in the gym most effectively? Yeah. And uh, I think that's why, you know, if you're looking to build volume in your training and, and you're in a particular volume block where you're just thinking, right, let's start here and end at a higher volume there, you know, we need to think what's a practical way of getting through that volume and, and using your time wisely. Yeah, definitely. So that's going to be very subjective to the to the individual, just how much time they have to train, um, what they enjoy doing. But definitely, like you say, there's there's a place for both kind of rep camps, if you like. Um, you don't need to get all your volume from one or the other. So, mm. yeah, definitely agree with that. I think it's the thing as well is that you get you get good at what you do regularly, yeah. but you also get bad at what you do irregularly. Mm. And uh, as kind of, I guess, bodybuilders, as you know, is what we would really be classed as because that's what essentially we're looking to do in the gym. Um, you know, it's really easy to get brilliant at that, like, 8 to 12 rep range and then be really shit <laughs> as soon as, you know, you're asked to go uh, a lot closer to your one rep max. Yeah. But also as well, you know, you can go the other way and that you can be, um, bodybuilders are generally pretty good in the, in the much higher rep ranges. Yeah. Um, but it's certainly worth keeping your kind of toe in the water with mm. every single rep range and, and aiming to be decent at all of them. Yeah, for sure. Um, I also think, Adam, it's probably worthwhile talking about uh, rates of progression and what people should expect Um you know, when in a gaining phase, when they're looking to build muscle, just how long they can expect that process to take. And importantly, just how long that process can take varied on, you know, how advanced you are as a lifter, because, you know, seemingly a a newbie lifter will progress a lot quicker than an advanced lifter. And so what those kind of rates of progression are? Hmm. Um, yeah, so I guess you're going to be looking at uh, like rates of weight gain based on like a percentage of your body weight um, because you can't say any kind of maximal like okay yeah you should be gaining one pound or yeah yeah you know it's going to be it's going to be scaled I think based on body weight and, and that's going to be scaled to your training age as you said so like for a beginner um, I'll be looking for them to gain about sort of 1.5% roughly you know see so anywhere between that one to two percent per month of mm. their body weight uh, just to make sure that they are kind of getting as much as they need for, for maximum muscle growth and uh, so I guess that would be, say, let's say we weighed in. I need, I need a really easy figure for this because I'm gonna have to do some math. So, um, say someone was two hundred pounds. Yeah. yeah, that's it. So essentially, they'd be looking to gain about three pounds a month, something like that. That's mm. a, you know, but you could be looking anywhere up to sort of between sort of two to four pounds per month, yeah. anywhere around that figure. And I've never seen really anyone put on more than probably about maybe 20 pounds of muscle in their first year. Yeah, and it um, is, it's worth noting at this point that you know, a lot of listeners will be listening and hearing us say, you know, if you're a beginner lifter that you can gain, you know, up to three pounds in a month. Um, and people will be like, fuck that, I can make 10 pounds in a month. But we're talking about um, maximizing muscle growth with as least amount of fat mass gain in that period of time yeah. that's that's important to that's establish it. i mean you can't get away from the fact that if you're say you're starting lean the abs are going to be blurring out mm. um you can't get away from the fact that if you're looking to try and maximize your your efforts in the gym you're better off um you know being slightly over than slightly yeah, under but yeah, i'm sure. going to use the term slightly yeah 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 <laughs> because what people tend to do is go massively one way mm. um 
And so, as I said, they're kind of beginner, um, you know, anywhere from sort of two to four pounds, three pounds is probably a good rate to, to kind of go for over the course of a month. Um, then intermediates, so I guess these would be people who have probably been lifting for probably more than three or more years now. Um, they're probably not noticing that they can just put more weight on the bar each week. They're probably having to structure their training a little bit more. Um, you know, they might be able to progress in reps perhaps on a week-to-week -week basis, but they're not growing like they were before where they're looking in the mirror and going, fuck me, where did that come from? Yeah, yeah. Um, so for that, those individuals, I'd be looking at around about 1% per month uh, weight gain. So that 200-pound individual, all of a sudden he comes down to two pounds a month to, to kind of gain. And then finally, for kind of more advanced, um, so, you know, you've been lifting more than, say, five years. Um, in reality, you can go through a whole kind of off-season and you're not seeing massive changes mm -hmm. in the mirror. Um, you're probably able to to push your your kind of, uh, I guess, strength performances up maybe every, you know, two to three months. But it's not happening very quickly anymore. And for those individuals, I'd probably be looking at kind of half a percent a month. So mm -hmm. that... All of a sudden, that 200-pound individual is only really looking to gain about a pound a month, um, which can be pretty horrible to see yeah. if, uh, you know, obviously it's barely measurable on the scale. Um, it's still obviously a surplus. You know, you're still going to probably need an extra 100 to 200 calories over maintenance per day, but you're not pushing the envelope so much that you're just going to get really fat in two months and then get back on the shreds, get yeah. back on the no carbs and the hit and, you know, just see it all wither away. Um, so it's, you know, it's definitely a, a slow process when it comes to natural muscle gain, apart from in those kind of, those first, say, six to 18 months. Yeah, and that's that's probably hard for a, a bit of a bitter pill for most people to swallow if you are an advanced lifter or even an intermediate lifter. Um, just accepting those kind of recommended percentage gains over a period of a month. So you imagine a month, you're gaining one percent, or sorry, 0.5 percent in body weight each month. So that 200 pound individual is is gaining one pound in a month. You have to be really, really disciplined in your in your quote unquote gaining or um, off season phase uh, mm. with food and with just not kicking the ass out of it. If you want to be you know, optimal if you, if you want to make good progress with minimal fat gains, mm -hmm. because it's it's very easy to push weight up. And there is an argument for pushing weight up in terms of levers and mm -hmm. being able to lift more weight. There is definitely a place for that, but um, you can definitely progress um, keeping weight pretty much where it is in terms of body weight and just progressing at a really slow slow rate. Yeah, because I, I, I'm I know we're going to get people say. Um, you know, like oh, a pound per month, like mm -hmm. in a way, that's way too slow, mate. Like yeah. you're, you're really not going to be, uh, you know, maximizing your chance to grow. Mm -hmm. But in reality, this advanced individual will, will do well if they put on three pounds of muscle in a year. Yeah. So if you look at it that way, if we're putting on a pound per month, if that person is patient and does like they probably should do as a natural lifter and takes a year off to just solely focus on muscle gain, that means out of those twelve pounds they gain over the year. Only three pounds of it, maximally, is probably yeah. going to be muscle. They're going to gain nine pounds of fat. Yeah. You know, you're not really you limiting anything. You don't need anything. any more than no, that. No, yeah, no, yeah. that's it. You know, you're not really going to be limiting yourself mm. by only targeting a rate of weight gain that's that much. Mm. And I think people use it as an excuse to go, oh, yeah, I've, you know, I've been bulking now for three months and I've gained, you know, 15 pounds and it's like <laughs> Good luck but I, I made sure i didn't limit my muscle gains by being in a big deficit and it's like mate you, you wouldn't have done do you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, you yeah. just you just got a diet a lot harder and a lot longer yeah. now and and uh and that's that's the thing is knowing from the start being realistic with our what's our rate of weight gain yeah. um can can leave people in a much better position to kind of figure out uh, what they should be looking for. Yeah, I think it's also worth mentioning while we're on this topic of just highlighting that rate with the, the beginner lifter. Um, and whilst being a beginner lifter doesn't always directly correlate with age, so mm -hmm. you can be a beginner lifter, you know, in your mid to late 20s, you know, people start training at all various age, oh, you can ages. You a beginner in your 50s, exactly. mate. Like um, Tony, one of my, my guys at the moment, he's 57. And he's gaining rapidly, he, right? Yeah, yeah. So since we started working together, um, God, what was it, like February time, um, he's put on like, how much has he put on? Like 18 pounds. And he's lean. And and he's still staying <laughs> he's really lean. lean. Like, it's yeah. ridiculous. And 
he's genetically he's he's a bit of a freak like mm. he just puts on muscle and he's 57 so you know you can be a beginner at any age yeah and so the point that i was going to make with that is that you know while it doesn't directly correlate with age more often than not if you're a beginner lifter it's because you're young and you're just getting into the gym and i think it's important to note that that rate of progression was a lot higher and there's a reason for that and um, it's because you know all the training stimulus that you're going to be providing is new and you'll be able to make adaptations pretty easily early on in your training um, and I think you know it's, it's definitely it's definitely worth mentioning that it's it's worthwhile using that momentum if you are a young lifter um, use that time wisely especially if you're young in your age not only your training age so if you're sort of 16 17 18 and you've just started training in the gym now is an optimal time for you guys to be building muscle. Not only is the training stimulus new, you're pumped full of testosterone naturally. Your your test levels are really high in your teens, in your early teens, in your early twenties. And they're only going up as well. It's only going to help. Exactly, and and it's just it's a shame to see young guys now, and it's so heavily influenced by things like social media, where you just need to be shredded all the time. Mm. Who are putting themselves in calorie deficits at the age of like eighteen, nineteen, just so they can get a six pack when actually you're primed to build muscle right now and you should really really capitalize on that and just make the most of this period of time because it does get harder as you get older so um i would just i would just suggest that you take that and um and do what you will with it but i would i would suggest use this period of time as best you can i think uh like anecdotally as well um because i i mean you've probably had it as well like lads come to you and say oh, i think i'm ready to compete and they're you know <laughs> They're barely out of school, you know. I mean, yeah, they yeah, still yeah. Their, their braces and their acne, yeah. and and, uh, and and I'm like, oh, mate, you know, you've just started training. Like, yeah. take four or five years and actually, mm. you know, build some momentum, build some muscle mass, and then maybe look to compete. Um, and and I like like I said, anecdotally, like the guys I see now that are in their kind of mid to late twenties who have got the the awesome amount of muscle mass, mm. and I know that they've just never done a they've never done a cut. Okay. Oh yeah, and they're and, just holding it. And, under and there. you can see it yeah. like they're absolutely like so much mass there, mm-hmm. so much thickness, and you know that they're literally just one show prep away from getting on stage and maybe you know placing in their first show or whatever. And these guys have essentially been permabolt. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. since they started training, they've yeah. just always been in a surplus, always been you know like doing well in the gym, being yeah. consistent in the gym, and they've just gained muscle consistently yeah. well for however long they've trained eight ten years inadvertently without really knowing without it. yeah they just like food that's, you know what I mean? <laughs> that's like, it yeah and and it's brilliant because they've never been like they haven't kind of been forced into that pressure of you need to have a six-pack mm. year round um and that's t- generally what tends to happen it you know it happened it's happened for myself to be honest mm. like i've spent the last uh you know three years pretty much almost in in a deficit yeah. you know what i mean yeah. and, and in that time i've really sacrificed um, gains in muscle mass for the sake of, of doing some shows yeah. and um, trying to stay lean for some like jobs and things like that. Yeah. And um, in reality, you know, like I'd be sat here now probably a good five, Couple six pounds, pounds heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If I'd have just stayed in that surplus, obviously it was a means to an end. It kind yeah. of worked out all right now. But, you know, that's kind of, I do see these guys who are, are absolutely apt to jump on stage yeah. in their late twenties because they've just spent that period of time building. It's a shame, and I, I can't really, I can't really say otherwise because I'm, I'm a sucker for it as well. But with the kind of rise of things like men's physique and um, those, those kind of things are so much more accessible now for a, a bit of a watered down look, is what I would say in bodybuilding. So you don't need as much muscle mass. You don't need to be dry and but shredded but you definitely do need muscle and it's it's easy to look at these guys in the pictures on instagram and all the rest of it and think oh i can i can look like that you know but actually a lot of them do have a fair amount of muscle mass and yeah like i say it's a shame to see young guys who are just itching to get on stage when actually you should be just focusing on them enjoying your training eating a good amount of food and progressing in the gym yeah that's it um, so I think we should also uh, kind of move on to nutrition and, and how that plays a role with uh, muscle hypertrophy because obviously that's going to be really important to building muscle. So yeah. if you want to kick us off with um, protein intake and how that plays a role. Yeah, that's it. So um, it's uh, I'm glad that we kind of start with um, protein intake because the first thing that most people usually start with is a calorie surplus mm. when it comes to gaining, gaining muscle mass. Um, but in reality, people can get this a little bit the wrong way around because you can 
build. Actually, you can lose muscle in a calorie surplus, mm-hmm. even training um, with the right stimulus. If you're not eating an adequate amount of protein, you're going to be, as I said before, that you know you, to gain muscle, you need to be synthesizing, to be creating more protein in the body than you're actually losing. Mm. And uh, this means if you, even if you've got the world's biggest surplus and you're, you're you know, trying to crush it in the gym, if you're not eating an adequate amount of protein, you're not going to be building shit. Mm. You know, you can't build a house with no bricks. And so the first thing we need to get right is total protein intake. Mm. Um, now, there's so many recommendations out there about what you should take. Um, the most recent meta-analysis um, that by... I don't know if it would go down as Helms et al. I'm not sure, but um, was kind of between 1.8 to something like 2.8 grams per kilo, something mm. like that. So a range in there is going to be a decent kind of figure to look for. Um, the bigger your surplus is, the more you can probably go down towards the end, uh, to, towards the bottom of that range, yeah. um, and uh, and fill a little bit more from carbs and fats. But you know, certainly uh, it's a pretty it's a pretty decent decent protein intake yeah um and uh you know that's that's definitely the most important thing to set first get that right yeah you you spoke there as well about um total protein adam so obviously your daily and obviously your weekly totals in protein intake but is there a reason that you said that over things like um how often or how frequently you should eat protein do you feel that plays more of a more of a role so I mean, based on the studies themselves, um, it definitely seems like the total protein intake is much, much more important than nutrient timing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can be timing your your nutrient intake every, say, three hours. That's that's always been the kind of recommendation um, previously. So let's say you're, you're a big individual. Let's say you're 200 pounds and let's say you eat five times a day and you're taking in know 20 grams of protein mm. now over the course of the day it's only 100 grams you might be hitting that nutrient timing spot on but you're not but you're only taking in 100 grams of protein yeah. and in reality you might not have enough mm. you know within you to be able to, to synthesize enough protein to um to actually gain muscle tissue so this is why total protein intake does take precedent um over just you know how often you're eating it and and the timing of it essentially yeah i don't know about you but i find um in this current Day, I say this current day and age like I've been in the industry yeah, for years, right. but nowadays, yeah. back in my day, but I, I find now that um, as we are kind of more and more subjected to the evidence and the research and the good the good knowledge behind training and nutrition, we almost go too far the other way sometimes. Um, so, and things like protein, um, people won't eat protein post-training because because yeah you know like the opposite end of bro it's stupid and i just think like you know just because something hasn't been researched or just because we don't know enough about something it doesn't mean that it it isn't true at all Mm -hmm. so i just feel like for the sake of consuming protein post training or every three hours with your meals Mm -hmm. or not not even necessarily every three hours but frequently with meals why wouldn't you you know i just feel like it's not too much to ask um you know, your total targets can still be the same, but mm-hmm. if you can get it infrequently, then why not? You know, you don't put it all, don't put all your protein in one block at yeah, the end of the day yeah. just because science, yeah, you know? Yeah. Like, I just feel like um, there is a place for anecdotal research and all the rest of it as well. So I just feel like sometimes we go too far the other way with evidence. Yeah, and I also as well, like um, when it comes to, to protein synthesis, so creating protein and kind of spiking that, um, you know, I'm sure everyone's probably heard of BCAAs, mm. so branch chain amino acids. Um, now these are, uh, you know, in any complete protein source, you will get these. So you don't have to be sipping on BCAAs all day and and spending all your wages. Um, but uh, but certainly leucine is is the one uh, of the amino acids that that seems to trigger um, protein synthesis. So getting in a regular feeding of that is yeah, it is important. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not to the importance that you're going to go catabolic if you miss a meal, but certainly, you know, if you're splitting up your protein over an equal amount of servings whilst you're awake, generally anywhere between three to six servings over the day, anywhere in that range is going to be a, enough to, to do pretty much all you can do. And if a nice way that you, you, you know, get that in and, and build that up is with a shake post-workout, then I think that's a that's a good way of doing things. Yeah. You know, I don't think you need to cut off your nose to spite your face, like you said, because 
because science. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So how should we go about um, kind of setting up our nutrition then when we're looking to get into a gaining phase? And by that, what I mean is, you know, again, we, I don't want to get into kind of macro ratios and yeah. all that kind of stuff, but obviously protein plays a vital role. How would we set up the other macronutrients within a gaining phase? Yeah, so um, uh, you set, obviously we said, you know, you set your protein first. We've got our calorie intake that we know we're going to aim for. Um, hopefully we're making it a, you know, if we're a lean individual, hopefully we're making it just a, a nice, sustainable surplus, nothing too extreme. Set our protein intake and then we'd look to set fat intake. And the main reason we look to set fat intake second is because it is an essential nutrient. Mm -hmm. So we do need to make sure that we are having a good amount in our body. It's going to help with hormone function. Um, it's going to help, you know, with actually getting calories up high enough. Yeah. Um, obviously we can get in calories pretty easy from peanut butter. Uh, it can be quite difficult to get in calories from the unflavored rice cakes <laughs> that I used to eat loads yeah. of because I don't know, I don't even know why, because sodium. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so, you know, it's going to be difficult, obviously, if you're, you're keeping your fat intake low to, to get in perhaps the required amount of calories without feeling like you're stuffed all the time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we set protein first, then we set fats, and then the remainders, all of those calories come from carbs. Um, and generally, I'll let personal preference dictate that for the athlete. Mm. Um, someone who perhaps is carrying a, a large amount of muscle mass, um, very active, I'll set carb uh, intake higher, just because they're going to be burning through um, a lot more carbohydrate, uh, especially if they're you know pushing their, their volumes and their training up. It's going to help with their endurance through their sessions, um, and also they're just going to be able to store a lot more of that yeah. because they've got bigger muscle mass, you know. So um, that's essentially how I would set it. But as we said in the last um, uh, podcast, you know, there's no perfect macro ratio, mm. um, and this is this is yeah where you know people are still asking their own questions of what's the perfect macro split to build muscle, what's the perfect macro split to lose fat? Doesn't exist. Yeah. You know, get your protein right, get the calorie surplus where you need it or get to calories where you need it because um, I know I keep saying surplus but in reality that's not something that a, a you know a 300 pound man needs mm. um, you know a 300 pound man definitely doesn't need a surplus uh, if we want to keep him alive for a long period of time um, you know so that's that's probably a good segue Adam into actually um, building muscle in a deficit yeah what your thoughts on that so if you'd like to talk about building muscle in a deficit and is it possible and is so why is it possible? Yeah, so this is one of my my favourite myths that I, I see is um, you can't build muscle in a deficit. And it's just been proved wrong so many times. You can, of course you can build muscle in a deficit. Um, we see it all the time. We'll work with people who are um, overweight and they will lose a large amount of um, body fat and gain you know, a good amount of muscle mass alongside mm -hmm. it. And they've been, sometimes, I mean, James... Uh, well, Florence James, he's been in a, a pretty substantial deficit for a prolonged period of time. And he's making visual gains. Yeah, like. exactly. And he wasn't even a newbie to it. He was, you know, fairly, uh, I guess, new to intermediate. Um, but, you know, he still gained a lot of muscle mass. And this is what, if, you, if you've if you got, say, uh, you know, 50 pounds of body fat, and we say, okay, each pound of body fat is, what, 3,500 calories, let me get my calculator out. <laughs> I should be able to do this. Sorry, actually. just as he's saying so, that there. So, so three thousand five hundred calories stored equates yeah. to roughly about one pound of fat mass. Yeah, that's it. So um, he's got one hundred seventy-five thousand calories of surplus energy that he can pull mm. from on his body. Yeah. So being in a you know a eight hundred or whatever eight hundred calorie deficit per day, really not going to do him much harm when he can utilize uh, calories burned from body fat to help with the muscle building process. Mm. I don't mean this as he's turning fat into muscle. I just mean he's using those. Yeah, calories. that's that's important to yeah. clear up. That's the that's the kind of saying that gets thrown around, or it, it doesn't get thrown around not anymore. But there was there was definitely, definitely a time. period of time where, you know, oh yeah, you're you're turning body fat into muscle. It's just that's obviously not happening. That's yeah. that's not the case. No. But yeah, like Adam said, he's got more than enough stored energy by the way of adipose tissue to to be able to be in an environment where he can still build lean muscle mm, and um and so yeah obviously there's no need to be in a caloric surplus to gain yeah. muscle in that circumstance and i think that's a good takeaway definitely for people who are 
who are you know not seeing your abs at the moment and you might feel like you've got a bit of a spare tire going on um who are thinking oh, i want to build muscle mass um I, I need a surplus when in reality you definitely don't no. you know if you get that total protein intake right you're training well you're tracking your volumes and you're trying to take them up progressively mm. you can have uh you know a a deficit um you know generally not too extreme um but you can still build muscle tissue yeah you don't have to worry that you're going to lose loads of muscle mass from being in a deficit you can still actually gain you know? yeah we did it with a couple of guys on the uh build of brown condition with carson yeah didn't we on the last yeah. one so not to say that guys were really overweight so sorry if you're listening guys but there was a few people who um who definitely could have benefited from just being in a slight caloric deficit from the get-go mm-hmm. um and those guys were still still gaining nicely so yeah yeah, there's definitely um place for that for overweight individuals um so unless there's anything else that you wanted to talk about in particular adam i think that pretty much covers quite a lot to do with hypertrophy and and how we gain muscle yeah um so i mean in terms of that we've gone through essentially what hypertrophy is you know how we how we build muscle we've gone through the training side of things um moved into the rate of weight gain which is how we're going to use or what we're going to use to kind of figure out what our nutrition is. So we've pretty much covered a lot of bases there. Now, obviously, there's going to be a lot more um, in terms of the the ins and outs, uh, in terms of really specific kind of um, techniques with training and things like that that I'm sure people would have liked, um, I guess, addressing. Um, However, we wanted to take a much more bird's eye view of things of, you know, what is actually important. So rather than looking at the... Um, the micro details, yeah. you know, rather than looking at the minutiae, how do you take care of the actual big important things? Mm. And um, hopefully you'd have, you know, been able to take some stuff away from that um, that you'll be able to find find useful going forward. But um, that's, yeah, that's all I've got for today, mate. Brilliant. So thanks very much for listening, guys. And Adam and I will collaborate again soon enough. Probably the next podcast will be out next week and we are yet to discuss what that will be on, but we will keep you informed on our social media channels. So stay tuned for that. Thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you next time on the Team No Cars Radio podcast. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening to Team No Cavs Radio. Remember, plantar flexion, dorsiflexion, progressive overload, and boom, anything is possible.